0: Peace be with you, and welcome to Walk by Faith. Our program is on the Book of the Apocalypse, or the Revelation to John. This is a production of St. Malachi Church in Sterling Heights, Michigan. My name is Gordon Peck. I'm the director of evangelization programs for adults. As in all things, let us begin a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, you gave us your Son to bring your word into our world. Open our hearts that your will might enter into us and motivate us to share what we learn with a world struggling for meaning. Holy Spirit, guide us in this Bible study and lead us to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The book of the Apocalypse, or the Revelation to John, part four, we're going to study chapters 19 through 22. So we know that John, the Apostle John, is generally credited as being the author of the Book of Revelation. He was serving as the Bishop of Ephesus around the year 90, um, 95 AD. And in the time of the Emperor Domitian, he was arrested and exiled to the uh, island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea, which the Romans were using as a penal colony. And while imprisoned on this island, an angel appeared to him on the Lord's Day, and invited him to come up here and see how they worship in heaven. And so the book of Revelation uh, describes what he saw in that vision. And it's one of the most difficult books in scripture to understand because it's filled with hyperbole and symbolic speech and uh, a lot of symbols so that it, if it was intercepted, it could not be understood by the Romans. Um The apocalypse is a Greek word, and it means unveiling or revealing, but there's much about the book of Revelation that seems obscured and hidden. So we're going to begin with chapter 19. After this, I heard what sounded like the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, saying, Alleluia, salvation, glory, and might belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great harlot who corrupted the earth With her harlotry, he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. They said this a second time, Alleluia, smoke will rise from her forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. A voice coming from the throne said, Praise our God, all you his servants, and you who revere him, small and great. Then I heard something like the sound of a great multitude or the sound of rushing water or mighty peals of thunder as they said, Alleluia, the Lord has established his reign, our God, the Almighty. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. She was allowed to wear a bright, clean linen garment. The linen represents the righteous deeds of the holy ones. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who have been called to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he said to me, these words are true, they come from God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brothers who bear witness to Jesus. Worship God. Witness to Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So the great multitudes are the saints and the martyrs who have gone on before in the earliest days of the church. And this was written about 90 AD. So the persecu- persecution is in full swing. The great multitude cannot be silenced because they are there with the Lord and they're about to celebrate the wedding feast of the Lord. This is the covenant that the Lord promised from all eternity that he made with his bride, the church, which is all faithful and, f- and for all the faithful who have died and been martyred on, in, on the earth in faith. So the words of the angel fulfills what God says in prophecy about man becoming like angels and living forever. Verse 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw the heavens opened and there was a white horse. Its rider was called Faithful and True. He judges and wages war and righteousness. His eyes were like a fiery flame and on his head were many diadems He had a name inscribed that no one knows except himself. He wore a cloak that he had dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. The armies of heaven followed him, mounted on white horses, wearing clean white linen. And out of his mouth came a sharp sword to strike the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod, and he himself will tread out in the winepress the wine of the fury and wrath of God the Almighty. He has a name written on his cloak, and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing on the sun. He cried out in a loud voice to all the birds flying high overhead, come here, gather for God's great feast to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of military officers and the flesh of warriors, the flesh of horses and of their riders and the flesh of all free and slave, small and great. And then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to fight against the one riding the horse and against his army. The beast was caught up with its false prophet, who had performed in its sight the signs by which he led astray those who had accepted the mark of the beast, and those who had worshipped its image. The two were thrown alive into the fiery pool, burning with sulfur. The rest were killed by the sword that came out of the mouth of the one riding the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Now, our Lord appears on a white horse. This is the same image that Satan had copied earlier when we saw the four horsemen. Satan was the fault, was the deceiver on the white horse. And the sharp two-edged sword that comes from Jesus' mouth is the word of the Lord, the word in spiritual warfare. So when he slays with the word, it's the word of God that convicts people. The beast, the evil political rulers, and the false prophet which represents false religious leaders, are thrown into the lake of sulfur and they are destroyed for all time. The remaining followers of the beast and the false prophet are destroyed by the two-edged sword, the word of God in spiritual warfare and have no influence over people from this time forward. Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw an angel come down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the abyss and a heavy chain. He seized the dragon the ancient serpent, which is the devil or Satan, and tied it up for a thousand years and threw it into the abyss, which he locked over it and sealed, so that it could no longer lead the nations astray until the thousand years are completed. After this, it is to be released for a short time. So how do you chain a spirit? There's no matter there. Well, the chains are the beads of the rosary, prayed by the faithful which makes links, which bind Satan in his evil deed. Prayer restrains evil. All the people who are out there praying the rosary are fighting against evil. Then I saw thrones. Those who sat on them were entrusted with judgment. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, and who had not worshipped the beast or its image, nor had accepted its mark on their foreheads or hands." They came to life, and they re- and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were over. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over these. They will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for the thousand years. So there are thrones in heaven, For those who are trusted by the Lord, the prophets, the disciples, the apostles, Uh, John saw these souls of those who sat on thrones, and he called this the first resurrection. And John saw the souls of the martyrs who had been beheaded, which is a common way for the Romans to execute people, uh, from the beginning of time under every tyrant, uh, great saints and the unknown. And there are two births. So you can be born in the flesh and then born in the spirit through baptism, but there can be two deaths also death of the flesh and then death of the soul if the soul is condemned to the pool of sulfur at the first resurrection. And there are two resurrections resurrection after death and judgment, and the resurrection that comes to everyone, good and bad, after the last day. So the early church fathers disagreed about what was meant by the thousand year reign or the millennium. Irenaeus. Tertullian, Justin, and others believed that Christ would return in the body after the first century, joined by the saints who had died. Later church fathers, Augustine, Ambrose, Basil, Athanasius, Gregory, and others said that the millennium began with the resurrection of Jesus and that his coming will be in spirit and he and the saints will help us. This is understood as the first resurrection. So, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over these. They will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for the thousand years. We just read that in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. But there are other people in either purgatory or hell that the second death uh, cannot affect, the, but the second death cannot affect those in heaven from the first resurrection. So the judgment for the whole world is yet to come. So when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle, and their number is like the sand of the sea. They invaded the breadth of, breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the Holy Ones and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil who had led them astray was thrown into the pool of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. There they were tormented day and night, forever and ever. So a thousand years are as one day to the Lord. And it's been 2,000 years since the incarnation of Jesus. So today, we're in the morning of the third day. The reference to Gog and Magog, a king and his army, was spoken of in the book of Ezekiel in symbolic terms as Israel's struggle against the forces of evil. So John has used this reference to talk about, again, a struggle against evil. In this final confrontation, the dragon, Satan, the deceiver, is seized and thrown into the pool of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were previously subdued. And all three are now confined in this place forever and ever. The forces of evil are subdued through spiritual warfare, and only a few adherents remain, But their time is very, very limited. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, the large white throne. Next I saw a large white throne and the one who was sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, the great and the lowly standing before the throne and the scrolls were opened. Then another scroll was opened, the book of life. The dead were judged according to their deeds by what was written in the scrolls. So as long as the little ones remain in God, as long as the Holy Eucharist is offered on the altars, as long as the word of God is proclaimed devoutly, Satan, the deceiver, remains chained. Revelation 20, verse 13. The sea gave up its dead, then death and Hades gave up their dead. All the dead were judged according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the pool of fire. This pool of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the pool of fire. So God the Father judges the living and the dead. And in the end, there is only heaven or hell. Hades is a Greek word. It's the same as the word for the Hebrews have for Sheol, place of the dead. Revelation chapter 21, the new heaven and the new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, The former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, God's dwelling is with the human race. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will always be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death or mourning, wailing or pain, for the old order has passed away. Some think that this city will be a literal event, and others think it will only occur in heaven. Both ideas are probably wrong, but both also contain some truth. The vision tells us that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and the powers of deceit and evil are gone. So consequently, all will be new in the sense that everything will be attuned to God. Can you imagine? Jesus will reign with us, and indeed he has been reigning with us in the Eucharist. He will not come back in bodily human sense. He already did that and won the victory. But his coming into our minds and our hearts and our souls will fill us with delight because every sorrow, including death, will cease. It will literally be heaven on earth. The old order has passed away. Now, in Leviticus chapter 26, we read, I will set my tabernacle in your midst and will not loathe you. Ever ever present in your midst, I will be your God and you will be my people. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be their slaves no more, breaking the bars of your yoke and making you walk erect. So God's dwelling place will be with the people of the earth. Just as he took the people out of slavery, he'll take all the slavery of sin away and the world will be a new heaven and a new earth. At verse five, we read, the one who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. Then he said, write these words down for they are trustworthy and true. He said to me, they are accomplished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give a gift. From the spring of life-giving water. Remember the Samaritan woman? Life-giving water. The victory will inherit these gifts, the victor will inherit these gifts, and I shall be his God, and he will be my son. But as for cowards, the unfaithful, the depraved, murderers, the unchaste, sorcerers, idol worshippers, and deceivers of every sort, their lot is in the burning pool of fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So the Lord identifies himself in a manner similar to how he identified himself to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. The incredible joy of the faithful has been achieved. And the thirsty, those who yearn for life-giving waters, spoken of by the Samaritan woman at the well, are granted to all the faithful. But there are still some who will not partake. And these are the cowards, the unfaithful, the depraved, the murderers, the unchaste, sorcerers, idol worshipers, and deceivers of every every sort. This final cleansing will prepare the new earth for eternal communion with the Lord. This is the second death. Not everybody chooses God, even at this moment. This is the purification of the church. The New Jerusalem, reading in Revelation chapter 21, verse 9, one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and said to me, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He took me in spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It gleamed with the splendor of God. Its radiance was like that of a precious stone, like jasper, clear as crystal. Now, coming down from the mountains, mountains are always places of meeting with God. We had Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, Mount Tabor, the Transfiguration of the Lord, Mount of Olives, Ascension of the Lord, and so we have a vision of a great high mountain and the new Jerusalem. It had massive high wall with 12 gates where 12 angels were stationed and on which the names were inscribed, the names of the 12 tribes of the Israelites. There were three gates facing east, three, three gates facing north, three south, and three west. The wall of the city had 12 courses of stone at its foundation on which were inscribed, the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So this combination of tribes and apostles indicates that all people from both the Old and the New Covenants will be there. The one who spoke to me held the gold measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city was square, its length the same as also its width. And he measured the city with a rod and found it 1,500 miles in length and width and height. He also measured its wall 144 cubits, according to the standard unit of measurement the angel used. The wall was constructed of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the city wall were decorated with every precious stone. The first course of stones was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the 8th beryl, the ninth topaz, and the 10th chrysophrase, and the 11th hyacinth, and the 12th amethyst. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made from a single pearl, and the street of the city was of pure gold, transparent as glass. Now, why all these different precious stones? Because the high priest wore a robe with 12 precious stones representing the tribes of Israel. In verse 22, we read, Then I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. The city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gave it light, and its lamp was the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and to its the kings of the earth will bring their treasure. There's no need for a temple because there's no need for a sacrifice. The Lord God and the Lamb are present, and their light illuminates all. Then the angel showed me the river of life-giving water, sparkling like crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of its street. On either side of the river grew a tree of life that produces fruit 12 times a year, once each month. The leaves of the trees serve as medicine for the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will look upon his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more, nor will they need light from lamp or sun, for the Lord God shall give them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 6 says to us, Then the wolf shall be a guest of the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion shall browse together with a little child to guide them. So the tree of life was lost in Eden. The tree of life was recovered on Calvary, and trees of life are planted along both sides of the river of life-giving water in the New Jerusalem. There will be no night, no spiritual darkness in the New Jerusalem. The the epilogue, Revelation chapter 22, verse 6. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of prophetic spirits, sent his spirit to show his servants what must happen soon. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the prophetic message of this book. So John is assured of the truth of this message, and the New Testament bears this out as well. So we should be ready, because it is the third day, according to God's calendar. We continue. It is I, John, who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, don't. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brothers, the prophets, and of those who keep the message of this book. Worship God. Then he said to me, do not seal up the prophetic words of this book, for the appointed time is near. Let the wicked still act wickedly, and the filthy still be filthy. The righteous must still do right, and the holy still be holy. So John is mankind, representing mankind. He is now raised to the equality, to equality with the angels. And the Lord says, Behold, I am coming soon. I bring with me the recompense I will give to each according to his deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are they who wash their robes so as to have the right to the tree of life and enter the city through its gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the unchaste, the murderers, the idol worshippers, and all who love and practice deceit. Jesus, we're told, is our origin and our destiny. And of course, we know that. We need to wash our robes in the blood of the Lamb. In Mark's gospel... In the 13th chapter, we read, "...but of that day or or hour no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be watchful, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It is like a man traveling abroad. He leaves home and places his servants in charge, each with his work, and he orders, orders the gatekeeper to be on watch. Watch, therefore, you do not know when the Lord of the house is coming." whether in the evening or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or in the morning. May he not come suddenly and find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all. Watch, so the parousia will come at a time that only the Father knows. And then Jesus says to us, I, Jesus, sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, let the hearer say, come, let the one who thirsts forward and the one who wants it receive the gift of life-giving water. So Jesus gives his signature to the book of Revelation and to all of scripture. The prayer of the church is come Lord Jesus, be with us. Give us this living water. I warn everyone who hears the prophetic words in this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words in this prophetic book, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city described in, the, in this book. The one who gives this testimony says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. And so ends the revelation to John. Now, in the book of Revelation, there were seven Beatitudes. Beatitudes are blessings. The first Beatitude is in the very first chapter. And it goes, Blessed is the one who reads aloud, and blessed are those who listen to his prophetic message and heed what is written in it, for the appointed time is near. In Luke chapter 11, we have something similar that explains this. And this is a passage that occurred when Jesus was discussing the need for driving out Beelzebub. And a woman in the crowd cried out in praise to the Lord and said, "Uh, Blessed is the womb that carried you and the breasts at which you nursed. And he replies, Rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. So that's very much a prefigurement of this first blessing in Revelation. The second beatitude is, I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, said the Spirit, let them find rest from their labors, for their works accompany them. And in Matthew chapter 16, we read, For the Son of Man will come with his angels in his Father's glory, and then he will repay everyone according to his conduct. The third beatitude is in Revelation chapter 16. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who watches and keeps his clothes ready so that he may not go naked and people see him exposed. In Matthew 24, we read, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on which day your Lord will come. Be sure of this, if the master of the house had known the hour of night when the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not let his house be broken into. So too you also must be prepared, for in an hour you do not expect the Son of Man will come. The fourth beatitude is from Revelation chapter 19. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who have been called to the wedding feast of the lamb. And he said to me, these words are true. They come from God. In Luke 14, we have something similar in that uh, one of his fellow guests on hearing this said to him, blessed is the one who will dine in the kingdom of God. The fifth beatitude comes from Revelation chapter 20. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over these. They will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for the thousand years. In 1 Peter chapter two, we find, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may announce the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The sixth beatitude is also in Revelation chapter 22. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is one who keeps the prophetic message of this book. It is I, John, who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. From Ezekiel we have, Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God, and when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speak. The voice said to me, Son of man, stand up, I wish to speak to you. The seventh and last beatitude is Revelation chapter 22. It says, Behold, I am coming soon. I bring with me the recompense I will give to each according to his deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are they who wash their robes so as to have the right to the tree of life and enter the city through its gates. The prophet Isaiah says to us, Who has performed these deeds? Who has called forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first and the last. I am He. Now, the Catechism also speaks of the book of Revelation, and what does it have to say? If we go to section 673, we read, Since the Ascension, Christ's coming in glory has been imminent, even though it is not for you to know the times or season which which the Father has fixed by his own authority. This eschatological coming could be accomplished at any moment, even if both it and the final trial that will precede it are delayed. In section 674, it says, The glorious Messiah's coming is suspended at every moment of history, until his recognition by all Israel. For a hardening has come upon part of Israel in their unbelief toward Jesus. Saint Peter says to the Jews of Jerusalem after Pentecost, Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for establishing all that God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. St. Paul echoes him in saying, for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? The full inclusion of the Jews in the Messiah's salvation is in the wake of the full number of the Gentiles will enable the people of God to achieve the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ in which God may be all in all. Section 675 says, before Christ's second coming, the church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. These are the tribulations we read about. The persecution that, accomplished, that accompanies her pilgrimage on earth will unveil the mystery of iniquity in the form of a religious deception, offering men an apparent solution to their problems at the price of apostasy from the truth. So we need to be careful. Section 676 says, the Antichrist deception already begins to take shape in the world every time the claim is made to realize within history that messianic hope, which can only be realized beyond history through the eschatological judgment. So beware of false messiahs. 677 says, the church will enter the glory of the kingdom only through this final Passover, when she will follow her Lord in his death and resurrection. The kingdom will be fulfilled then, not by a historic triumph of the church through a progressive ascendancy, but only by God's victory over the final unleashing of evil, which will cause his bride to come down from heaven. God's triumph over the revolt of evil will take the form of the last judgment after the final cosmic upheaval of this passing world. 678 says to us, Following in the steps of the prophets and John the Baptist, Jesus announced the judgment of the last day in his preaching. Then will the conduct of each one and the secrets of hearts be brought to light. Then will the culpable unbelief that counted the offer of God's grace as nothing be condemned. Our attitude to our neighbor will disclose acceptance or refusal of grace and divine love. On the last day, Jesus will say, truly I say to you, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. 6.79 says, Christ is Lord of eternal life. Full right to pass definitive judgment on the works and hearts of men belongs to him as redeemer of the world. He acquired this right by his cross. The father has given all judgment to the son. Yet the son did not come to judge, but to save and to give the life he has in himself. By rejecting grace in this life, One already judges oneself, receives according to one's work, and can even condemn oneself for all eternity by rejecting the spirit of love. 680 says, Christ the Lord already reigns through the church, but all the things of this world are not yet subjected to him. The truth of Christ's kingdom will not come about without one last assault by the powers of evil. 681 On the judgment day at the end of the world, Christ will come in glory to achieve the definitive triumph of good over evil, which, like the wheat and tares, has grown up together in the course of history. And 682 says, When he comes at the end of time to judge the living and the dead, the glorious Christ will will reveal the secret disposition of hearts and will render to each man according to his works and according to his acceptance or refusal of grace. Now, at the beginning of this program, in part one, I talked to you and told you that to understand the book of Revelation, it's important to look at the Mass, and that the Mass is throughout the book. Here is an outline of the liturgy in the book of Revelation. The introductory rites, the very first part of Mass, Jesus is shown as the high priest. The next part of Mass is Confidior, the penitential rites, and here we have it in Revelation chapter 1. And the sins of the seven churches are talked about and and uh, and what they need to do to repent. Then there are lampstands and menorahs. That's in Revelation chapter 1 and chapter 2. The holy, 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 the sanctus is is Revelation chapter 4 verse 8. The gloria comes a little later in Revelation uh, chapter 15. The Lamb of God first is uttered in Revelation 5, uh, verse 6, and then 28 times throughout the uh, entire book of Revelation. Intercessions of saints and angels on our behalf is is talked about in Revelation chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 9, and and chapter 8. And then the homily is that long section uh, from Revelation 6 to chapter 18 where the tribulations are talked about. If there is a lesson there's this, this is a long extended homily. The sign of the cross is, is uh, identified in Revelation chapter 7, chapter 14, and chapter 22. The Blessed Virgin Mary is is shown and discussed in Revelation chapter 12 and in uh, Revelation chapter 13 through 17. The great amen is in uh, Revelation 19 and chapter 22. And the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Eucharist, the source and summit of, of our faith is, is uh, identified in Revelation chapter 19. So to understand the book of Revelation, it's important to understand the book of the Mass. Uh, excuse me, understand the Mass. Um, so much in the, the cottage industry of videos and books about the apocalypse is so um, ex- ex- extraordinarily uh, bloody and fantastic that all those things that you might see on television or on the book stand, they're all misleading. Understanding the mass, you will see it played out in the book of Revelation. So let's summarize what we've experienced in this study. The people in the New Jerusalem will see God face to face. This is something Moses yearned for, but he was denied in his time. Humanity is now transformed. We always say, oh, why does there have to be all this evil in the world? Well, with the coming of, of the uh, New Jerusalem, it's all transformed. So reading the book of Revelation makes the balance of the book of, books of the Bible come alive. If you go back and read those books again, you'll see every prophecy fulfilled. God never does anything without telling his prophets first we saw that in the old ages he would he would in the old testament he would go in the in the old ages he would go back and identify to prophets what he's about to do and then it would happen same thing here in the book of revelation and jesus tells us he is coming soon we are in the morning of the lord's third day so nobody need be lost god is merciful god says over and over again let him who has ears hear Mankind is raised to the level of angels. The faithful are raised to the level of angels. And the angel tells John that he is his equal. And as angels were once the mediators of the word to ancient peoples, we are now mediators to all peoples of the world. So we have to remember what Jesus taught us. Go teach all nations. Do not keep this faith of yours a secret. Proclaim it to the world. Share it with those you meet. So we're, we're meant to spread the news of the revelation. The time is near. Let the sinner go on sinning, but wash your robes in the blood of the lamb. There are some people you can't convince. Don't waste your time. Go to those who have ears who want to hear. And everyone will receive what they deserve. God is merciful and, and will grant absolution to those who earnestly ask for it, but many will persist to the end and their stubborn free will. Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He is our origin and our destiny. And at the end of the book, John signs the document, but amazingly, Jesus Christ puts his signature on it as well, and as he also does to the entirety of Scripture. So our response and the church's response must be, come, Lord Jesus. Let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace be with you. Thanks for listening.